Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Evidence to Policy podcast series. This WHO audio series is a great way to take a deep dive into a variety of perspectives and approaches on how to strengthen evidence-informed decision-making. We are very pleased to have Dr. John Reeder with us today. John is the Director of the Research for Health Department at the Science Division, WHO in Geneva, and Director of TDOR, the Special Programme for Research and Training in Tropical Diseases. Hi, John, how are you today? Hi, how are you, Aisha? I'm good, thank you. John, you have an impressive career in medical research and leading international research organisations. Already while being director of the Papua New Guinea Institute of Medical Research from 2000 to 2006, you were working on translating scientific findings into policy for improved health. Can you tell us, John, about your lessons learned in facilitating the uptake of research in policy and decision making? Yeah, when I was in PNG as director of the National uh, Medical Research Institute, I had a board on the National Health Board. So I had a very direct interface the first time ever between the science and the policy making. And it was a real eye opener to me. I'd, I'd come from a science background. So I just believed that if you got the right evidence, you got the right results, you had a good conclusion, everybody would believe that and it would go into action. And that would be the end, end of that. So basically people would be reading my paper in the Lancet and the next thing, everybody was gonna be better through, through the world in this kind of naive way. And I realized very fast in that forum of a national health board that evidence is only one part of a policy making decision. Just equally, the people making that decision have got to think about the economics, they've got to think about the, the public opinion, they've got to think about how it fits with the rest of their health services. So um, I think the real lesson was, was to realize the evidence is essential for a good decision, but the evidence is not enough for the decision in and of itself. So now moving from translating medical research in Papua New Guinea to the WHO, as part of the transformation process of the World Health Organization, the WHO Director General established the Science Division, including the Research for Health Department, which you are heading. Can you give us a brief overview, John, of the department's mandate in promoting evidence-informed decision-making? This was a really great part of the transformation. and and. Of course, WHO has always prided itself on being an evidence-based organization. It isn't like it's suddenly come as a surprise to WHO that it needs to consider evidence. It's always been there. But for the first time, this really put the critical mass of research for evidence together within the science division. And then it started to create the research for health department to fill some of the gaps that hadn't been there before to specifically promote better prioritization of research. What kind of research do we need to be doing? Are we at the forefront of the technologies? Are we being ethical? Are we governing this correctly? And of course, and really importantly, when we do the research, is it answering the questions that are needed to go into policy? So we've been trying to drive uh, across this entire research spectrum in our activity within the division both to motivate WHO internally and to align ourselves for the mission, but also, of course, to see how we can engage with increasing capacity in the countries and the member states to be able to use a good research evidence to get good policy and good change for better health. 
What are your three pieces of advice to member states that are interested in promoting the systematic and transparent use of evidence in decision making? I think number one is that health research is not a luxury. It's, it's an absolute integral part of any health system and the evidence it produces is absolutely important to getting the most efficient uh, improvement in health you can. Many people think about science and evidence generation as this ivory tower kind of uh, um, a pastime, but really embedded within the system, it's the constant improvement cycle. It's what, it's the compass in the ship of the intervention. So it's really important. So number one, health is not a luxury. Number two is if you want to do research, invest in capacity. And this is a capacity across the whole spectrum, not just academic researchers, but training people who are implementers and public health practitioners on the value of research, democratizing the research, turning it from a pastime into a tool that can be used to apply for the better. Also, a well-trained workforce in research, as we've seen within COVID, can be quickly translated into other priorities. And, and we've just recently done a survey at TDR looking at some of our trainees, and more than 70% of them, while none of them trained in emergency response, have readapted their new skills in evidence generation to improving the COVID response. So really importantly, and I, I guess the the third part of this is to really think about the conversation between science and between policy, because I'm afraid quite often we're speaking two different languages. And I think, you know, I'm a scientist and I think probably we are responsible for most of that. We, we, we talk in jargon, we, we talk about the data, but sometimes we don't take that step to translate this into the context that the policymaker needs for decision. And one of the things we're doing with the TDR training at the moment through, through the science division is adding that extra part to the people we train for science communication and teaching people how to write a policy brief, which translates this scientific information into a very straightforward statement of the problem, statement of the issues and a statement of the possible solutions then the policymakers can really start to look at this and see if it fits their needs and whether they can translate this into something that will improve health within their countries. John, what has the COVID-19 pandemic taught you about evidence-informed decision-making, both for international organisations such as WHO and member states? I, I, I think COVID-19 has really crystallised all of the arguments I've just used. I mean, Good evidence, quick evidence for immediate response has become absolutely essential in this response at, at all levels. And the other interesting part about it is, of course, it's really shifted the public debate. I mean, when did you last remember that people were glued to their TV when a chief scientist was on, on the TV talking about R rates or graphs with, with things in? So there's been this massive jump forward of, of people thirsting for knowledge about the, the, the epidemic and hopefully some recognition within science as well that it needs to be translated in this way. So we're seeing some really quite articulate presentations now of, of, of the science. Just yesterday morning, I was listening to the, the BBC Today programme and the chief scientist, Samia Swaminathan, were, was on there answering quite complex questions about the emergence of, of, of the new variants 
in a way that really told the story of what was happening, not dumbing it down in any way, but moving on to this position of people understanding really what is happening uh, around here. So I think there's a thirst for knowledge, but there's also a necessity for very quick evidence to go into to policy. Look at it right now. Look at even this week, the, the, the emergence of the Omicron variant. People are asking those very obvious questions. Will my vaccine protect me? Will, will I be more likely to get this? Will it transmit faster? Do I need to change, change all these? Waiting for this evidence out there in the world, science is coming to this party as well. Unprecedented sharing of data uh, around the sequences. This was absolutely phenomenal. You, unthinkable a year or two ago that, you know, only a few weeks ago, this emerged in South Africa. South African scientists not only had the capability to sequence the virus, but shared that data absolutely immediately. Uh, and the global sharing of that data has allowed us to come to terms with this emergence very quickly. So getting the evidence into policy. Having said that, back to my earlier questions, not all policy is about the evidence. And we see politicians on the TV, we've heard the slogan, we're following the science, we're following the evidence, but then they seem to make some decisions which you know, following the evidence completely baffles you and obviously is driven by their own politics and their own situation. And this is not a criticism. I mean, politicians are politicians. They have to operate in very complex environments. But again, the more we can make sure that the evidence they are acting upon is good and solid and timely, the more likely we are to improve health on the, on the basis of this. And I, I think nobody in the world today can say that they are not seeing the value of scientific evidence being translated into, in, into um, action. The vaccines, absolutely phenomenal uh, translation of, of science into action. And then continuing on, and, and from our point of view, it's not just about the evidence of the trials for those vaccines, but really engaging with the social scientists, with the ethicists, with getting the evidence of what the uptake is going to be, with looking at the social aspects of this and forming evidence-based solutions to bottlenecks to, to, to healthcare. So I think we've, we've not just learned lots from COVID-19, I think COVID-19 has really shown the world the value of some of the things that were already been going on in a much quieter way in the background. It's become the main dinner table topic rather than just an obscurity uh, to, to, uh, for experts to discuss. Yeah, that's so true. And finally, would you have any additional advice to our listeners that are interested in promoting evidence-informed decision-making? One of the things I often say uh, through long experience, and it seems obvious, but if you want a person to use the answer that you are giving, answer the question they are asking. Listen to what they are asking what, rather than what you think they should be asking or what you want to tell them. And by involving policymakers in the asking of the research questions, you really speed up that translation. It's, it's no surprise. We often complain. I'm, I'm there. We have good evidence. We think that policymakers should be doing it. But they are asking, you know, should I use this A or B? And then we talk about C, you know, or something about you're not answering the question. And I think the important thing about evidence is bring the evidence into play, show the perspective around the outside edge, but do answer the question that's being asked. 
because that is where the policy decision is. And, and that's where we really have to become much more pragmatic as scientists if we want to be people who contribute to policy generation rather than just scientific knowledge. It's, it's kind of, it's where the rubber hits the road in science and life. It's the pragmatism of bringing the science. And we've got to realize that, you know, we can't be purist. It's about taking the best possible evidence and seeing how we can fit the best possible translation of that into the context rather than the perfect translation. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good when it comes to translating evidence into science. Great. Thank you so much, John. That was really an insightful conversation with you on the importance of evidence-informed policy and actions as a means to accelerating the achievements of important health goals and increasing country resilience against health crises. John, you have clearly elaborated the critical role that WHO plays in this field. Thanks, Ashley. On behalf of the WHO Evidence Informed Policy Network, EVIPNET, I'd like to thank you all for listening to this episode. We hope this podcast was of interest to you and please stay tuned for the next episode coming again soon.